there and welcome to Media, the podcast where we talk about VCU media and media education in general. My name's Rhett Lamb and today we're talking about Australian stories. The Australian film industry is an important part of our national identity and it's important as a nation that we see our lives and our stories represented on the big screen. Today we're going to celebrate Australian stories by taking a look at the multi-academy award winning Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, if you're a teacher in, uh, or a student in Unit 1 Media, please be aware that this film is rated MA15 for strong violence and post-apocalyptic themes. Uh, we did get parental permission to watch this one. It's not something that you'd pop on for your year nines when you're away. Um, if you've seen Mad Max Fury Road, we'd love you to join the conversation by recording your 30-second response and sending it to brett at lessonbucket.com. We'd love to include you in a future episode about Australian stories. To discuss Mad Max Fury Road, we have a wonderful panel of Year 11 media students, including Wilson, Mitchell, Theo, Kaylee, and Cassie. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys. Mm. Yes. Oh, you're all very excited to be here. That's amazing, <laughs> because I'm making them be here. Uh, to start off with, uh, for people who may not be familiar with the film, and if you haven't watched it, we are going to spoil the heck out of this one. Uh, we're going to throw to Wilson. Wilson, can you tell us a little bit about the storyline? What am I, I going to get if I sit down and watch Mad Max Fury Road? Um, Mad Max Fury Road is set in a post-apocalyptic desert wasteland where survival is everything there. This well-made action film revolves around a car chase where the characters Max and Furiosa drive away in the war rig from the totalitarian ruler Immortan Joe. In a nutshell, one long action scene. Okay. Um, I liked, uh, one of the things we did as a class was we watched a documentary called Going Mad, uh, The Battle of Fury Road, which was basically a very long interview with uh, George Miller, the director of the film, uh, the editors, the production designers. It was a really interesting documentary. And one of the people says that this is basically, uh, three quarters of this film is a chase and the remaining quarter is a race. Uh, and it is, it is one unrelenting action scene. Um, I guess my question, uh, what did you guys think of the story, just generally? Um, I quite like the story, like, overall. Um, it can feel at times like, like, because there's so much action in it and because there's so much stuff going on, you can feel desensitized to, like, what's happening on the screen. But overall, like, like, even though it's a long movie, it, it is still an enjoying film to watch. And for those action lovers out there, it is a great film. Yeah, I have to admit the first time I watched the film, I was completely overwhelmed by the first, uh, maybe the first half of the film. I, I was just complete sensory overload. I, I couldn't deal. And I came away from the film really admiring it, but um, I was like, well, that was almost too much. Yeah. Uh, and in sub on sub subsequent viewings, I think I've maybe appreciated it more uh, for what it does. Mitch, what do you think of the, the story so far? Um, I liked it how it was simple to follow. So you, know, you weren't confused about what was happening. Yeah. Um, is there anyone on the panel, I'm interested to know, who thinks this movie doesn't have a story? Because that's a complaint that I hear levelled at this film quite often. There's no story, it's just an action scene. I think it does have a story, but like it's never just said outright. Like you have to think about what the characters did beforehand and what happened beforehand. And it kind of hints at that, but it never exactly says it. 
I, I really like what you're saying there about this, Theo. And I did watch a video essay about um, the, the story of Fury Road very recently, which was basically saying if you tried to write this screenplay, and we're going to go to Mitch, he's going to give us some insight into the production of this film very shortly. But if you wrote this as a screenplay, it wouldn't, it'd be very unusual because you'd have these long passages of description about the, the costumes and the makeup and all of those sorts of things that you typically don't get in a screenplay. And you're right, a lot of that information about the characters, it's a visual thing. So there's this real, uh, I think, depth to the story and the characters um, once you start to pick it apart a little bit. Like Immortal Joe, for example, you look at his, I think his sons, you don't really know the backstory behind them. They're just kind of there. You kind of got to think like, what happened to Immortal Joe? How is he like this as a character? What, like, what happened to him to look like that? And how did these sons just appear? And I, I don't know. To me, uh, I, I like that in a story. I like the fact that there are these, there are these things with the story that we have to put together ourselves. Uh, and I do slightly abhor the, um, the tendency in modern filmmaking to explain everything. Oh, everything's got to have a prequel. Let's have a prequel to work out why Imogen Joe has this armour and these medals. You know, we don't need to know that. It's sometimes much more fun to put those pieces together. Mm. Um, is there anything else that sort of appealed to you about the story or maybe uh, didn't appeal to you? For some people, like I know earlier I said I really enjoyed the action scenes, but um, for some people it may drag on. And for some people, they might want the, the movie just to end. <laughs> and I think, uh, and again, I hope I'm not stealing too much from Mitchell's here, uh, but in, late in the production of the film, they showed screenings of this to test audiences, which is something you do in Hollywood to make sure that your film works. Uh, and a lot of people said, it's, it's unrelenting. I just want it to stop. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that's possibly a valid uh, criticism. One of the things that I like about this story is, um, I guess... As you said, the characters are really quite well defined and Furiosa has a worthy goal in the story which is established very early on. And I love those shots uh, lingering, those sort of close-ups of Charlize Theron as she's heading out into the wasteland and uh, that moment when she pulls off the off course um, and all of the trucks follow her and it's revealed shortly thereafter that she's rescuing all of these women from this, this horrible dictator. Um, and, you know, her, her goal in this story is really super clear. And I really empathise with it. What a horrible jerk Imogen Joe is. <laughs> he just really is a, an awful, awful person. Um, so I was very much identified with these characters um, and I was on board for that journey and I wanted them to succeed. Um, yeah, so there's so much that I like about this story in terms of it's just this pure, um, you know, very clear film. And I love that. Yeah, like... Um we know we know about Max, right? We know like we know a little bit like he has a past, and you can kind of guess that past. But like he's kind of just doing his thing, and he's kind of just out there, just like with mm -hmm. with um yeah with the other characters just interacting, and he's he's in his like straightforward like linear motion just with those characters alongside him. Yeah, he has his own. He's not really with his own like with his own goals in a set in mind, he's kind of just there. Yeah, um, one of the things that I... You know, George Miller is a little bit... Um, he's a bit ambiguous about whether this is a remake or a reboot or if it's a direct sequel to the uh, previous Mad Max films. Uh, and I think we get enough about the character. There are those flashbacks where I think what someone in his memory says, you left us behind. And you've got this character who doesn't want to have anything to do with these people. He doesn't want to care 
and over the course of the film he starts to care for them um, and there's that moment where he says you know I'm going to help you get back to the Citadel so it has these wonderful character arcs um, and I think that's you know, I, I think it's terrific mm. there, there is a story there there's a very rich story there uh, it just might it's just tied up in this enormous action sequence uh, so Wilson you had some thoughts on the, I guess the story as well yeah, I actually like how the way the story was told. It's like not told through a lot of dialogue, but through the visual cues in each scene. It's not a conversation broke up by actions. It's actions and fighting that fill the purpose of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And um, that sort of brings us, I think, nicely uh, to Mitchell, who's going to give us a little bit of insight uh, into how the film was made, because it's an interesting story. Um, so can you tell us a bit about the production, Mitch? Um, you learn a lot about the production in the documentary that we watched, and... It's been described as going through development hell. Yeah, oh yeah, total development hell. And that's a phrase that refers to any film that kind of languishes for quite a few years, can't quite get the funding, things aren't coming together, that, that sort of thing. Film was released in 2015, but it's been in planning since 1998. Yeah, that's a long time to be making a film. Yeah, yeah. it was going to be shot in 2001, but of course the tax got that postponed. And then later, their location got ruined by torrential rain. I know, right? So they were going to go to Broken Hill uh, and film this. And for the first time in decades, um, there was this huge downpour uh, and these beautiful flowers bloomed in the desert. Um, so, yeah, no Mad Max for Broken Hill, I'm afraid. Yeah, but that didn't quite stop production because in 2003, a lot of the cars were still being made for the film. And then that kind of just started going on from there and started getting progressively more actually filming shots and eventually got released in 2015. Yeah, um, so this this film actually went through, I think it really demonstrates uh, how difficult it is to make a movie. In the documentary that we watched, uh, George Miller, who, by the way, 70 years old, uh, in the Namib- Namibian desert, uh, hooning around in these cars and making this film, that is insane. I hope when I'm 70, I'm doing something like that. Um, that's just an achievement in and of itself. This film was quite interesting in terms of its planning. Um, there wasn't a script, was there? What was there? Theo's going to dive in. Um, I think there was a bunch of storyboards, like a, almost a comic kind yeah, of Yeah, situation. thousands. Yeah. Thousands of storyboards spread out um, around you know this room. Uh, and when they took a break and they were making Happy Feet, yeah, George Miller, director of Fury Road, is the guy who made Happy Feet. Um, these, these sort of storyboards were up on the wall in the background, so uh, the film was sort of always there in the back of his mind. Um, and I think, do you remember, like in the documentary, there was a bit of tension, I think, on set. They were out in the Namibian desert for um, months. Uh, sorry, months at a time, about nine months, I think. Yeah, quite mm. a long time. Yeah, and I think for the actors, that took quite a toll. And I know uh, from the documentary, Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy became very frustrated because of yeah. the way they had to shoot this. Um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't have any direction for where he wanted to go. When in other, well, he had direction, but he didn't have the cues that he was looking for at, from other roles and from other acting experiences in order to perform his role in Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, and, and professional actors care about things like motivation and they want to know who their character is and they want to receive that information from the director. And I guess George Miller's there. And think about this, like every film you've seen, every Marvel film, they're not doing those stunts. They're against a green screen and they're in bungee cords and all sorts of things. 
This is a 70-year-old director out there in the middle of the desert with all of the crazy cars actually blowing things up. And in order to make that, you've got to shoot it a little bit at a time, yeah? It's got to be very stressful to go through all these big stunts. You could probably only do it once. I think they, they actually blew up a lot of these um, cars. So they only have one shot at that. That would be in- extremely stressful for the actors as well as everybody else involved. And, yeah, in order to shoot it safely as well, you really do it a bit at a time. So you might get one or two angles and then you've got to repeat the stunt again um, and repeat that sequence. So basically I think there were two watershed moments uh, for this movie. The first was uh, the screening of a uh, teaser trailer at Comic-Con. And what was the reaction to that? Oh, the teaser trailer. Um, Everybody... They received a standing ovation from the crowd. And yeah. It, was, it seemed like a very emotional moment for um, for everybody involved, for all the people who are making it. Like, they're seeing the crowd's reaction on this this awesome, like, oh, like you know, yeah, this yeah. awesome. I think the internet just exploded, basically. <laughs> like, Twitter went mad um, for that. And the, the second was the, uh, it, the way it was received at uh, the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, which is a big deal in film circles. Um, and again, what was the sort of reaction there? It was, uh, once again, a good reaction. And I'm sure that yeah, everybody was proud after they made that film. Yeah. And I think one of the nice things for me, um, particularly watching that documentary, which you can watch uh, when you buy the film on iTunes, uh, you get all of these bonus features. And that's the only place I've seen the documentary going mad. There are different sort of variations on the making of um, Fury Road. Uh, but I think this one's definitely the best. There's a very, I think, heartfelt apology from Tom Hardy um, in a press conference at the Cannes Film Festival saying, at the time, I didn't understand what you were trying to do. And seeing it on a screen in front of the audience, I suddenly realised, and there's no way you could have explained that to me when we were making it. Um, so to me, it was sort of a very a very nice sort of humble moment where he sort of apologised and said, you know, I understand what you were trying to do there. Um, so it's the making of this film is fascinating. And so my question is, and I think I'd maybe point out, in terms of Australian films, keep in mind this was funded by Warner Brothers, okay? It had a $150 million budget. Yeah, okay? Most Aussie films don't get anywhere near that sort of money. So, um, you know, there's a sense that this is a big studio film, but it is, there are a lot of Aussies on board, you know? I think it kept everyone in the film industry employed for a good decade or so. Um, Now a question for... All of our panellists, so maybe Kaylee and Cassie would like to dive in here. Bit of a challenging question. What do you reckon makes Fury Road an important Australian story? Because I'll I'll give you a moment to think here. Because with Kenny, it's kind of obvious. You're seeing Australian culture up on the screen there, uh, reflected. uh, With films like perhaps um, Breaker Morant, which we're going to watch as a class tomorrow, tells an important part um, of Australia's history. Mad Max Fury Road is set in a post-apocalyptic future where there's a dude on this enormous stack of amplifiers playing a guitar. Um, Is this an important Australian story? I don't know. What do you guys think? I guess it doesn't exactly show Australian values. Like, Oh, I reckon it does. You could probably argue against that. Now, I'm going to dive in and argue against that. Um, And feel free to disagree with me here, but it's so unusual to see Australian slang on the big screen. And the phrase, I don't know if you know this phrase, but fang it. Do you no, know the phrase fang it? Know, it comes up that. three times in that movie where <laughs> Charlize Theron is like, fang it. It means go faster. Oh. And I don't, and this is probably revealing, uh, you know, where I grew up in country Victoria. 
but that was a phrase that I've never seen on the big screen before, let alone three times, let alone uh, Shelley's throw on saying, bang it. I don't know. And I think if I knew a little bit more about cars, if I knew a little bit more about cars, there there were probably things that I would see in the production design that sort of reflect, I don't know, I think there's there's parts of Australian car culture in here and that sort of thing. Do you guys know about the first Mad Max movie and what sort of inspired George Miller to make it? No. Okay, here we go. Basically, there was a gas shortage, um, you know, around about the time he was sort of thinking about these ideas. And it was apparently about a week or 10 days before the first gunshot was fired. Okay. Um, and his sort of thinking is, what would happen if there was a real crisis in Australia? How would people react? Um, and I think the short answer is poorly. Anyway, that's just my take on it. But I don't know. Um, do, you guys, do you guys think this is an important Australian story? Why, why do you think it might be important to see these types of films? I think it's, um, it's important for uh, Australians just to notice that films, that Australian films are good films and we can make great films because this is negative stigma towards Australian film and it's kind of this cultural cringe. Oh, yeah, totally. Earlier in class. Yeah. Um, yeah. You go first. No, I was going to say that um, I very deliberately chose this film to share with you guys because uh, I think there are negative perceptions around Australian movies and Australians don't make action movies typically. So I think it's uh, challenging a bunch of assumptions that we might have. And also, I'm a big fan of science fiction, fantasy and horror. So I do like uh, what people might refer to as genre filmmaking. And I reckon I love it when Australians make those sort of movies, uh, particularly science fiction movies, because I I just love, I want to see more Aussies in space. I think I said this in class, you know, oh, crikey, Commander Kirk. There's, uh, sorry, that's the worst Australian accent ever. Crikey, Captain Kirk. There's Klingons off the starboard bow. Um, or, oh, use the force, you bloody drongo. You know, something like that. You know, I, I, I want to see more Aussies in space. This is something that I want to see on our screen. Maybe Aussie hobbits? I don't know. I think, where, where, where is Australian culture in fantasy movies and stuff like that? You know, we need to see more of it. And I think it's important. We need to make trashy horror movies and things like that about giant crocodiles, which we'll talk about in future episodes, no doubt. But I, I reckon I, I want to see more of this on our screens. And that's one of the reasons why I have a great deal of uh, affection for this movie, I guess. I, maybe this, this cultural cringe has actually been created from people feeling misrepresented by, um, by like, these Australian films. And maybe this, Mad Max does it so subtly. Like earlier you said that word, I forgot what the word is. A fanger, I think. Oh no, fang it. Fang it. Fang it. It means to go faster. Yeah. So, like that word, I didn't even notice it in the film. So, like maybe it's just done it so subtly, and it's done it in such a like a good. Yeah, it's not. It's not a big part of the story. It's not like yeah. we're trying to represent Australian culture here through this film, Mad Max Fury. Nothing like that. No. But there are these. There are these little bits of Australian culture up there on the screen, and. Yeah, when it comes to that, I think if we don't do it, if we don't represent Australian culture, then Americans will do it. And I think uh, Paniz yesterday in class mentioned uh, Captain Boomerang from Suicide Squad. And if this is how Hollywood's going to represent us, I think we're in a lot of trouble. Now, Mad Max did win a swag of awards at the 2016 Academy Awards, including Best Production Design, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Hair and Makeup. This is unprecedented for a genre film, let alone an Australian genre film. So I guess my question for Kaylee and Cassie is, do you think Fury Road is worthy of these awards? And, and if so, why? Okay, I think, um, yes, 
because like I think they really put a lot of thought into the way um, they should they they design the characters and with the production that is not just like on the green screen but it's actually real and they really put a lot of effort into really bringing up that story and the atmosphere and the mood. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, Cassie, any any sort of reason why do you think it might have got those sort of awards? Um, I think that, well, one of the things I would like to say is in terms of editing, the film has used very little CGI and it blended smoothly with the different shots and the real stunts that was uh, performed. Yeah, in terms of editing, if I can dive in there, yep. you've had experience making films. You know how difficult it is. And think about the sheer amount of footage um, that they had to um, use to edit this film together. Um, you're talking about a massive amount of footage and it's just a, a monumental feat of uh, editing just to cut this thing together. But to cut it together in such an engaging and compelling way, I think, is, is quite masterful. Uh, yeah, so I would agree completely. I think um, creative problems that you have to work around, like the whole film is a creative problem. They they basically make this whole scenario, this whole scene out of nowhere, like this whole world. And so to build up that scene, there's all these little minute problems that they have to solve in order to create the set design, in order to create the costume design, and in order to like even edit the whole movie. Yeah. Because... The movie has to like the movie has its own creative problem with that large amount of footage, like you said earlier, mm. and it creates these really specific edits and these really creative shot designs. Yeah, I, I think it is incredible. And um, Margaret Sixel, who who edited this film, I guess with George Miller sitting um, over her shoulder, has, has done an amazing and tremendous job. In terms of production design, so we're really talking about the construction of sets. We're talking about the construction of um, you know the vehicles and all of those sorts of things. It's mad. Do we have any car enthusiasts on the panel? No. Okay, so this is a really poorly selected panel. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, if you look at the, the design and the construction of these vehicles, it is um, really um, astounding what they've done. And one of the visual things I love early on in this film is the sort of shrine to the V8s where the war boys, uh, these sort of... Uh, mutants who oh, are the, going to... the wheels. Yeah, all of yeah. the steering wheels stacked up on this uh, shrine. So I, I thought that was visually, you know, kind of fascinating. I can appreciate it from an artist's perspective, how they separate the vehicles and how the vehicles belong, like, from each faction. They all have yeah. their own theme. Yeah, and there's the spiky cars, which are a nod to which are a nod to a film called The Cars That Ate Paris, those sort of that spiky VW. Um, I, I haven't you, watched that film. Um, yeah, check it out. Check it out. Um, yeah, there's all of this stuff in there. In terms of um, sound editing as well, there's so much going on and how you balance that to tell the story clearly, I think, um, very interesting. Uh, can I make a confession? I've been listening to the um, Mad Max soundtrack by Junkie XL quite a lot lately. Um, and I actually, a little bit of an aside here, I actually drive like a nana. Um, I'm very happy to admit <laughs> this because I think it's probably the most dangerous thing that I do every day driving to school. So I, I drive safely. Um, in fact, I was sitting around quite a few years ago. Uh, my sister was saying, oh, yeah, Brett, he drives like such a grandma. And my girlfriend at the time um, sort of jumped in and said, oh, that's not fair. And I'm like, oh, finally, someone is going to defend me. There are heaps of old women who drive faster than Brett. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? 
So there I am, sort of um, driving safely to school, indicating courtesy waves to people, and in the background I've got... It's just amazing. I turn it up really loud. Uh, I love the soundtrack. I, I think it's it really is masterful. Um, and there's a track called um, Brothers in Arms, uh, which everyone should listen to, and I think is incredible. That said... You know, one of the reasons I shared Mad Max Fury Road with you is I hope that it would challenge your um, preconceptions about the Australian film industry. Has it done that for people? I don't know. You know, what's your reaction to it as an Australian film? Some people might have not even known that it's Australian film. <laughs> so some people might have thought it's just an American film because it has these two American leads, Tom Hardy and Furiosa, which I forgot the name. Shelley's Thrush. Thank you. Um, yeah, so some people might have just like glossed out of that completely. Yeah, um, and okay, so going back into the history of Australian cinema, in the 1970s and 1980s, we would churn out genre films like horror movies um, and action movies and science fiction movies and all of those sorts of things. And Quentin Tarantino uh, is actually a huge uh, cinephile, I guess, and, and lover of Australian films. He loves these movies. Um, and he would say that, you know, you'd sit down to watch a film like the original Mad Max and you wouldn't even know it was Australian until someone opened their mouths. Um, so... You know, I, I, I don't mind that. Um, and again, I think it's important that we create uh, these genre films. How about other people? Uh, Mitch, has this sort of perhaps challenged your assumptions about Australian movies? It's very different to the common Australian movies that you see, like The Castle and Kenny, which are kind of a bit stereotypical. Yeah, of. I mean, yeah, it's it's not it's not that stereotypical comedy in those in the sense of that those films are, I guess. Yeah, it's closer to what Hollywood makes, so it just kind of seems like oh this is a normal film that I would see in the cinemas not some small Australian film. quaint Australian comedy about yeah. a small town yeah 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 Wilson how did you sort of feel about it as uh, an Aussie movie I actually agree about what they've been saying about how it's like um like when you first watch it it doesn't seem like it's just an Australian film and it's just really nice well like to see that um it's just you can watch a movie and you just don't have to think about whether or not it's Australian or not Australian. It's just a good movie. Kaylee? Well, I agree with them as well. And at the same time, I thought that it's something I can actually understand that doesn't have too much slang and like phrases that I have no idea what they mean at all. Okay. So watching it makes me feel like, oh, I can understand something. Okay, I guess so. so there aren't so many sort of... Um, colloquialisms or you know specific pieces of Australian slang that I suppose it's a movie that would travel fairly well so yeah. it would it's obviously did well around the globe and maybe that's the reason it's sort of a, a very visual story it's not too many cliches like you don't see somebody I don't know cooking a shrimp on the barbecue or something like that <laughs> oh come on that's what I'm going home to do this afternoon <laughs> give me a bloody break all right um well, that brings us to the end of uh, this discussion. Uh, any other comments about the film? 10 out of 10 stars, I guess. Okay, 10 out of 10 stars. There you go from Theo. I'd give it a solid eight, maybe. I think it's been hailed as a masterpiece of, of the 21st century, uh, and I would agree. I think it's a, it's a very bold, uh, very well-told story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Media. Remember, if you'd like to join the conversation uh, about Mad Max Fury Road uh, or any previous films that we've discussed, send us a link to your 30-second response um, on this Australian story to brett at lessonbucket.com and we might be able to feature you in our next episode. 
For more information about VCE Media, remember to check out www.lessonbucket.com. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to everyone for joining us. See ya. Bye. Bye. (laughs)